and welcome to the Movie Brew, a podcast about British films and British filmmakers. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. That was the weirdest way you've ever said that. I don't even know why. It won't make any sense until anyone like gets to the end of the episode, hears the last bit and then starts playing it again. My God. It's... (laughs) A podcast about British film and British filmmakers. With me, as always, and laughing at my not funny jokes, is my uh, friend and co-host, Lester Gartland. How you doing? Hello, Doc. I'm good. <laughs> um, I am very excited to not talk about a British film today. Or it kind <laughs> of is. It's a grey area again. It is a grey area again. Just like the weather in Britain. So yeah. it's British. Uh, an honorary Brit film director... Most of the films were British funded that mm-hmm. he's made. Uh, although he was American and moved to London. Uh, we have an honorary kind of museum for this director. So, I mean, I'm going to count it as a British film. I'm not going to count it as a Hollywood spotlight. No, he's, That's what he's, I'm gonna do. he's like a Gilliam. Yeah, it's he's a Gilliam. So uh, for this, I'm very excited to bookend our Spooktober special Ooh. with i mean you've seen you've seen the thing already because you've clicked on this episode you know but the it's the, it's uh the shining sure is oh boy i never laid a hand on him god damn it i didn't i wouldn't touch one hair on his goddamn little head i love the little son of a bitch I'd do anything for him. Any fucking thing for him. But that bitch. As long as I live, she'll never let me forget what happened. I did hurt him once, okay? It was an accident. Completely unintentional. Could have happened to anybody. And it was three goddamn years ago. The little fucker had thrown all my papers all over the floor. All I tried to do was pull him up. The momentary loss of muscular coordination. You extra foot pounds of energy per second per second. And we're talking about Stanley Kubrick. I think we're going to shed some light on this. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about this movie, and a yeah. lot of people have Endless. really looked into it. People have endlessly picked it apart and thought of theories, some interesting, others. Weird. Fat shit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I don't think anyone's really talked about this movie from the perspective of someone that's seen it for the first time. And that's what you did. And I have never seen this film before. And and you got to see it at the cinema. Our first experience, my first experience watching this movie is when they were sh- doing a re-showing at our local cinema, uh, the Duke of York's. And we both went together uh, to see it on Monday night. And it was such a great experience to see this movie for the first time 
on the big screen. Even just seeing it, like, from me, just seeing it again, but on the big screen yeah. was just really nice. Just a whole new experience with it. It was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. And a lot of fun. Uh, I got some takeaways from it, but yeah, like, this is going to be a weird one, because, like, this is a classic movie that I assume most of the people listening to this podcast know more about this film than I do, because uh, I've not... I mean, I know I've seen all the classic scenes and I know a lot about the film just because I know about films and mm. stuff and I've read about stuff and listened to stuff. But I um, I haven't I've never seen this film before. And it was such a cool experience to just watch it for the first time. So I, well, I'm very excited to talk about it. Yeah. Um, is there anything you kind of want to get into? Should we just give the people what they want <laughs> with a synopsis and some reviews? The synopsis is the bit they want. Yeah. Um, yes. So, uh, it's based on the Stephen King novel, obviously. It's obviously. the screenplay is written by Stanley Kubrick and Diane Williams. Yes. Um, and it's extremely different from the book, which will be something that crops up a lot as we're talking, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, so synopsis is a family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where a sinister presence influences the father into violence. When his psycho went, oh, excuse me, I was going to say psychotic then. Mm-mm. While his psychic son sees horrific <laughs> forebodings from both past and future. Yeah. So here's the thing with that synopsis, just straight off the bat, that's already assuming what's going on in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because this film is so up for interpretation that that is not what I watched. Yeah. For me, anyway. That's not what I saw in this film. Yeah. And I'm sure it's not what a lot of people see in this film. Um, it has a general rating on IMDb of 8.4. Which is uh, pretty high for IMDb. It's pretty good, but I was also I also thought it might be a bit higher than that, actually. Well, like, I, IMDb... I'm pushing 9. I'm, IMDb reviews are, tend to be quite sporadic. What? And they don't <laughs> do tend to... They are tend to be quite on the harsher side. And unless it's kind of like with newer films, newer films kind of tend to have a lot of more positive reviews on there. Like the Dark, the Dark Knight is one of the highest film, rated films on is IMDb. It? Yeah, mm. um, for that. But yeah, it's like it's it's really weird. IMDb if you go ratings. to rate Spinal Tap, you can rate it up to eleven. No way. Yeah, you can. That's oh yeah, you sent you sent me that on on uh, you sent me that picture, didn't you? Yeah. So if anyone's really into Spinal Tap like I am, go and give it an eleven yeah. just for the fucking fun of it. Yeah, yeah, do it. <laughs> we rating. gotta do that. For, oh, is it not a British? No, film? it's it's Rob Reiner. He's oh, American. Damn. This goes up to eleven. This goes up to eleven. <laughs> this IMDb page goes up to eleven. <laughs> Why don't you just make ten the better rating? Um. <laughs> right. Let's let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Before I, d- I quote the whole fucking. <laughs> Spinal Tap movie. I just, I'm, I'm very interested. I'm very interested to just hear people's takes on it. I think we could get like a really good thread going if people just give us all their weirdest takes on The Shining. Sure. We could just like start that up. And well, just like yeah. I all mean, them, all their weirdest, all their weirdest thoughts and theories just kind of tweet us. That yes. would be cool. Yeah. Just anything. Because we're both going to say what we think the film's about. And you'll probably listen to this and go, what the fuck are they talking about? Yeah. They're completely wrong. This is what it's about. And then you can tell us that. And then we can read that and go, what the fuck is this guy talking about? What I'd really like to do is have a separate discussion outside of this podcast where we can just kind of like talk about what we think, what we analyze and what we think the theories are and stuff. We both have our initial takes and our initial ideas. And I think it'd be cool to discuss them. But I don't want this podcast to turn into... 
what does it all mean type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that can get so a bit many. tedious. There's like, so many. There's so much stuff in here that we can talk about. And there's so much in this film to kind of get stuck into that I don't want it to just turn into what did the intended... Because I'm never going to know what the intended <laughs> filmmaker wanted to do with this, what Stanley Kubrick was thinking. I'm never going to know. Um, so so I, I'd rather, I'd rather not, I'd rather not kind of stab in the dark with a bunch of stuff for a film I've just seen for the first time. No, no, no. And just kind of continue that elsewhere. You're always going to be wrong. Yeah. Just, that's true. Just because everyone sees it a different way. Well, there's, there's no about, right answer. The thing is, it's definitely about the moon landings. Though. Well, I mean, that is the solid fact <laughs> of it. Um, Tarek got that straight away just from 10 minutes in yeah. when asked about the moon Yeah, land. I saw that jumper and I was like, 100%. Yeah. Even before that, just the establishing shot. Yeah, just the for car. the advert that was in space before the film played. Mm. When I don't think that advert was really in space. So I think that was faked as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, amazing. Right, let's get to these reviews. I assume you found some pretty, pretty hilarious ones. I have found some reviews. <laughs> Um, so it these... was, it wasn't received very well when it first came out. I do know that. Well, so when I, I've got, my ones are all fairly recent. I'll cool. give you the year they came out as well. Um, so this is the part where I read out a review from IMDb. It's yeah. out of 10 stars. Yeah. No half stars. And Tarek has to guess the rating. So first one from Steve 13. And, uh, Ooh. this is, uh, 2003. This one was. Okay. Uh, title is, I waited for this. When did, when did this film come out? Like 1979, That sounds like... He waited a lot of years. Can 2003. I, can, we just, can we just judge this review on its title, first yes. of all? You can do that with all of them if I just want. Wanna, I just, I just want to just point out that the, the titling of this review just gives the air of someone that's like waited a long time to lose their virginity and then it's just been a really bad experience. Like, it's just the way, the way it's written like that. I waited for this. Yeah, my dick fell off. What the hell? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Is it supposed to? Will it grow back? Yeah. Yes, you're a lizard. Um, so title is I waited that for this. That wasn't sex. That was leprosy. <laughs> that was leprosy. <laughs> Jesus. No. That's the end, guys. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's our <laughs> review on the podcast. That was pretty bad. Okay. okay. Uh, I waited for this by Steve13. I said it like it was a poem. After reading previews about this, maybe being the scariest movie of all time, I was extremely disappointed at this laughable excuse for a horror movie. Jack really was a dull boy in this mishyped, miscast feature. Granted, King's novels don't always translate into good movies, but even his TV movies put this piece of trash to shame. Oh, really? That's what they're saying? That's a bold statement. If people want to pick up on some Stephen King TV movies, oh, you can get a couple fun. of recommendations from these guys right mm-hmm. here. Uh, you were telling me that, that Stephen King was so unhappy with this making of this film that he went off and made his own Shining uh, TV movie. Yeah. Um, and it's obviously terrible and it's pretty bad um but yeah he was so unhappy with how much it changed that he yeah i mean i think when it came out he wanted his name taken off it oh or something God. like that like there was a big thing he was not happy at all with it oh no um yeah that's so good but uh yeah if you're interested in more stuff that Stephen king has directed himself obviously there's maximum overdrive but if you really want to go out there uh, then I would recommend going to check out the film Sleepwalkers, 
which is Stephen mm. King's attempt to make a vampire movie, and it's real bad. And it stars one of the guys from Charmed. Oh wow! Yeah, it's real bad. Okay, it's real, That's real the bad. Caliber. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Stephen King's an interesting writer because he's he's of the kind of uh, I tell you what he is, Tarek. He's the Bob Dylan of writers. <laughs> Because he's, oh God, he's, he's so prolific that every now and then he hits a home run. Yeah. yeah but yeah. it's like, you know, if you're going to write that much, you're going to not write some, you're going to write some bad things. As the well. thing is, is that I look, I'm, I'm not going to be the best judge of his novels and stuff. Cause I haven't read as much as some others. Mm. I mean, we should really have Mark on this podcast. He, he tells, he loves Stephen of, King, doesn't he? He absolutely loves it. Mm. Um, oh man, Mark tweet us everything that we're saying wrong. Tell us what you know. Um, but I I imagine that the tones the tones of his uh, books and his writing and stuff is mm. would be quite dif- difficult to capture on film because everything that I've heard everyone talking about as novels and stuff is that it's got quite an out there crazy kind of tone to it. Like when people talk yeah. about like it and stuff, verges on wacky. Yeah, which I think is one of the things that this film does really well mm. when well, like, you mean like kind of dispel the wackiness yeah well it's just kind of like there's so many opportunities like in this review where it could have it could have gone over the top mm. and what's great about the way that kubrick directed this film was that you're what you're seeing are people just out there and being crazy and stuff but it's so grounded that it makes sense in the world and yeah, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of, yeah, it, it totally makes sense for the situation that you're watching these people fall apart together. Uh, I think he described it in a quote of something we watched. He's like, well, this film is just basically a family quietly going insane together. Mm. And that's such an apt description for what this film is. Well, Kubrick said that. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting thought. But um I do I do think that this I was expecting because this was my first experience watching this film and stuff. I was expecting something maybe a little bit scarier or a little bit creepier, but I think that's an unfair judge for something that's like came out when it did. Yeah. For for things like this, you have to you have to sort of put the stuff in context. Yeah. And there are there are some films like Ken Russell's The Devils that still are timeless like timeless (laughs) in their weirdness and scariness and alligator sword fighting and alligator sword fighting all good stuff no and their creepiness and stuff but like what held up with the shining was this with this was this sense of dread Mm. and this sense that i felt like i knew what was going to happen and i this is a film that's like it doesn't matter if you know the spoilers or not because the film tells you the spoilers within the first five minutes and it's like you, it sets up the fact this is going to happen and you're just watching it unfold and that's what's creepy about it. Yeah, it's not necessarily like... Because even at that time, there was more like overtly scary films. Yeah. But what I find with this film is, like you said, it's like you know what's going to happen and you're watching it and it makes you feel uncomfortable. It makes you feel uneasy. And then that feeling stays with you after the film, yeah. which is what make what I think makes it a horror more than anything else. It's, you know... There is some, you know, scary horror 
type bits in it, but that's not what this film's about. Yeah, it's tough because when we walked out, I was like, that's more of a thriller than anything else. Yeah, I suppose but it then, is. But then but it's got the, more I, the more I thought about it afterwards, the more I would like, it's a film that's just warrants going back to and keep thinking about and then yeah, just yeah. kind of coming back to it. And those elements of it, sometimes thinking about the film afterwards was scarier than yeah the actual film itself. Yeah, exactly. So that's in that sense, it's kind of horror-like because it sticks with you like that. Yeah, it sticks and with you. Some thrillers don't have that. It's more of like a thrill ride, and then that's it's got some sort of resolution at the yeah, end. Yeah, thrillers tend to just wrap it up, and then yeah. you're like, okay, that's done. That's it. Good. And then I think the thing is with this is that there isn't that resolution, right? And so it sticks with you. But getting back to this review, because I'm jumping ahead here. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, man. Well, he he thought that the TV movie Stephen King stuff was better than this. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's tough. Look, I really want to give it two stars because I always give them favorite. two. It's my favorite. But I think he gave it one star. He did, in fact, give it one yeah. star. Of course he did. Of course he did. I really wanted to give it two stars, though. Okay, next one. From... Even I didn't think he would give it that. I was like, wow. no. I wonder what he gave the TV movies. Five. Six. I'm going to find him later and find out. Yeah. Um. I mean, on the internet, I'm not going to go to his house. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Uh, next, <laughs> next one's from Santosh Torega. Ooh. Uh, this is from 2012. Yeah. Um, it, the title is One of the Most Comedy Flicks of All Time. <laughs> So I hope you're ready for me to not be able to breathe while I read this. I can't wait. I can't wait. (laughs) Okay. I saw many, many movies based on Stephen King novels, so I thought it would be a great film, but it turned out the quiet opposite. I never felt it as a horror movie. All the actors acted very well, but it was a totally slow with an unexpected tragic type of ending to the story for people who don't want to see a good horror mystery flick. (sighs) That was the sentence. Uh, I did not get why the movie ended in that manner. I went back and saw the end again, but still didn't get what the director or what, or the writer wanted to show. If you are alone in the house and want to see a horror movie for fun, being never choose this. If you really want to see, if you really want to see this, then sit with the ones you hate most so you can irritate them. (laughs) I was utterly disgusted by this movie. If this is supposedly the best of horror, I will never want to watch the horror genre again for fear of seeing its worst. The movie really stinks, and I don't know why it is rated so much. No, no, you not. Do you not agree with him? I'm not. I'm. I'm not shaking my head. I. I just think some people. I can understand the sentiment of like expecting it to be scarier coming out of like initially watching it and stuff. Mm. But we were just talking about how that cre- it's more about the sense of dread and creep and stuff. Yeah. And it's, it's seeing it now after seeing this resurgence of horror that's coming out now and people kind of really trying to get more out of their, uh, their content that they're making in terms of like genre, genre films and stuff and really trying to like, uh, have suffered deeper subtext and stuff. This film is so influential. Yeah, like, like it just Annihilation comes to mind. Yeah, all those kind of films. They're directly influenced by this. There's just so many, so many. Yes, yeah, so many filmmakers. A generation of like filmmakers that were just completely influenced by this oh, yeah. film. Yeah, and Stanley Kubrick in general, to be honest. And you just see all of that, 
uh, in some of the cinematography and stuff. And like, fair enough, you know, maybe it, it, there wasn't enough like ghosts in it for you or ghouls or gore or anything like that. But that's not what it's about. Yeah. Like it's, exactly. it's more, it's, it's the realism of it that makes it scary. Yeah. The fact that it's a believable situation with supernatural elements in it. But like you, like you are watching people go insane and it's scary. What I think would be helpful for this review yeah. is if you knew how old this person was. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like The Shining's a 15 rated, I think. So if I was 15 and I watched this and I was like, I'm going to watch a horror film. I'm going to put The Shining on because I've heard that's a good horror film. Mm-hmm. And I watched this. I'd be, I'd probably be annoyed because when I was 15, I wanted to watch a horror film. I'd probably want to watch something like Scream or, you know, just something dumb. Yeah. Where there was just silly shit happening. Yeah. Like The Descent, like we did last week. Yeah. Stuff. just It's just like a pizza movie. Yeah. yeah. This isn't that. So for it to be, so I'm thinking like if he's around like he or she, if they're around like 15, mm-hmm. yeah, you're probably not going to like it. Yeah. Yeah, probably yeah, yeah. It, you probably just won't gel with you until you have some real existential crisis in your life oh, and then watch yeah. it again and yeah. then and then it'll get you wait till <laughs> depression hits you and then and yeah. then when you go and you watch this film you're just like oh shit yeah. there shouldn't be an age rating there should be like a happiness rating for this <laughs> yeah. film like, are you feeling shitty yeah. watch this film are you are you totally okay with your life you're not going to like this <laughs> no, no 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 you're not going to enjoy this go watch uh, 13 going on 30 yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then that'll yeah. give you all the wish fulfillment you want. Yeah, anything with Zac Efron in, that'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Um, as a bonus round for this, all right. Um, how many people out of twenty-three people found this helpful? <laughs> <laughs> no, out of twenty-three people. Yeah. Oh God, I'm gonna say five, ten. Yeah, I was going to say it's five like to ten. Half, half of the people who read this went, that was really helpful, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for writing that. Yeah. That was really good. I, no, I do agree with you. I think that there is a time to watch this film, mm. and it's like when you turn, like on the cusp of 18, 18 yeah, to I like... Think, I think you got to be past 18, 18 to 20. Yeah. I'd, I'd give it an 18 rating, not because of like the horror elements in it, but just because of the... Existentialism. Yeah. Like, it's not going to... It's not going to gel with you and, until after 18, I think. Yeah. Like an over and stuff. But yeah, I think that, yeah, there has to be a certain, I mean, unless you're a very sophisticated 15 and year people old. People can be. And like people can, be, like people of Generally, like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not for sophisticated is the right word, but like had, like, unless you, like, you, like you've just come through and you're just like, okay, you're a very mature like 15 year old to kind of come in and just watch this film and just be like i yeah i see what this film does great but when i was 15 i just wanted to watch fucking popcorn movies you know? i could literally only think about skateboarding when i was 15 yeah <laughs> it was the only thing i could fucking think about <laughs> it was infuriating to my mum. yeah it's just constant yeah the skate videos so many and then she'd come in and be like have you been riding your skateboard inside again but like, no no. Why is there wheel marks everywhere? <laughs> what are you I doing? I've been riding. I've been doing those pop shovels. Yeah, I've been riding. I've been fucking trashing it, <laughs> fucking ripping it up, mom. No. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. No, I I totally agree with you with that. Uh, on the question of how much this person gave yes. it, he gave it one star. Of course, he gave sure. it one star. Yeah. Uh, w- 
So the thing with this one is when he goes on about like, I don't get what the director or the writer wanted to show. It's like, yeah, that's the point though. Yeah. It's, it's up to you. And I mean, some of it's not up to you, but certainly parts of the ending are. I think this is the a whole gr- third act is really. There's a whole conversation that we could have that's not even about the film, no. but about the fandom around the film. Oh God, yeah. And it's like the kind of things that people see in it that aren't there, or we'll touch on that. But I'm not getting too deep yeah, into no, that no, crazy. No, but shit. like that's that's what I mean. Like, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But yeah, I'd say like the first, the first, the first act sets the family up. The second act kind of is like the horror bit, and mm-hmm. then the third act is like. You you make up what you're seeing from this now. I've given you lots of jigsaw pieces. Yeah. And they go together any way you want. Yeah. And have fun. Uh, okay, you ready for the last one? Yeah, give it to me. Okay, this one is from Nexus FPL. And this is from 2017. Mm. Year of our Lord. Um, title is, It's All About Jack. Okay. Okay, now... I've got an a, a, an idea of who this person is when I read this review. Yeah, when you yeah, and I want uh I want you to come up with an image of this person. Okay, first of all, yes. no offense because you are wearing one, but turtleneck probably yeah, probably um, a turtleneck. Uh, I think I actually wrote this. <laughs> I think you did. No, I, I definitely didn't. Uh, I would. I okay. It's all about Jack. You're just giving me the title, and I've that's got just the title, okay. right? But then he also. I mean, it could be. Well, actually, I'm just going to say he. I'm going to say he just for brevity. Um, they also put a subtitle underneath. Yeah, obviously, because one title is not good enough. For do this I person. get? Do I get the subtitle as yeah, well of before you? you... And so the subtitle is is over the topness an English word. We all mm. know that's not an English word. Mm. And the way he's is they are poising this. They know it's not a fucking English word either. Don't yeah, they? don't. Yeah. don't Jerk me around, buddy. Yeah. What are you, okay. Oh, man, this is going in a different direction than I thought. I thought oh. it was going to be a very sophisticated kind of like a reviewer kind of telling you what they thought the film was about and stuff. Oh. When you was like, it's all about Jack. But it's like now it's all the, now it's saying it was over the top and it's an English word. I, mm, I don't know. Okay. Just, we're just two lines in and you're already like, why is Well, because you, you're asking me to paint a picture of this review. All right. You ready for the whole thing? Yeah. Okay. All right. Go on. It's all about Jack. Is over the topness an English word? Oh, God. If it is not, then it should be. We know it's not. If it is not, then it should be. And its creation should be entirely attributed to Mr. Jack Nicholson. That's because his most famous performances in, mo- in moves... I'm making a point yep. of... He yep. fucking yep. messed yeah, that up. Said, yep. Famous performances in moves offer us the exact definition of the term over the top. And he used it properly there. And indeed, in the specific case of The Shining, Mr. Nicholson's acting is so over the top that he alone makes the movie almost unwatchable. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> some statements. That's, uh, that's, some, that's, that's, that's some Owen Wilson wow. So just before, before you get into what you think of this person, yeah, I'd like it. to point out that he started off with we need the word over the topness to yeah. describe this film. Yeah. And then never once used that word he made up. No, no, because no. you don't need that word because it's a terrible word. It's a bad word. Stop doing that. Don't use those words. <laughs> bad language. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> no cursing. <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to get what we're talking about. We also watched uh, 
review for a terrible, terrible, terrible film, uh, which is made by the guy who made Troll 2. And it's just like the most most quotable thing we've ever seen. Go and check out Night Killer. Night Killer. (laughs) Go and look at it. Go look at it. Okay. So what do you think? What do you think about this person? Um... Uh, first of all, the first thing that came to mind when you were like picture this person writing mm-hmm. this review was like patchy mustache. Ooh. Like okay. a little like a patchy patchy mustache. How do you mean patchy? Like sort of like not fully realized oh, or okay. grown. But just so like it's like, not patchy on purpose. It's like No, no. Like someone's trying scraggly. to grow, tr- someone's trying to grow a film film buffs tash but they haven't really gotten there yet i don't know what a film buff tash is a film buff tash is like someone who's like like you imagine you're going to going to uni for like film studies or something yeah you want to like look a bit more sophisticated right yeah. so you get rid of all your skater t-shirts right never you get you get, you get a tail neck yeah and then you get like a little little maybe a little buzz cut on the sides with your okay. hair but right. still keep like a little bit of a mop and right. then you're and, just just describing me right now. yeah i am um, just, <laughs> no, but you don't have a buzz cut on the sides okay but yeah, it's a little longer than that. Like, no, but like all the way round. Oh, you mean like the Pidgeotto haircut? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's oh, what I mean. That is the worst. And then you've got like a Guys, little, little, little starting to grow a little bit of hairs on the tash. Oh my God. Yeah, that's who I'm picturing. That's a bad look. Yeah, it's a bad look, man. It's like a, that, to me, that conjures up images of like a semi-professional footballer who is by law on a register. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that sounds like to me <laughs> that's real bad <laughs> that's real real bad um yeah no i just i look i feel like this guy or gal has thoroughly missed the point this, this girl with a patchy mustache <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> Man, that was a girl that's all really bad but um yeah no honestly like it's the thing is, right, I'm going to jump in with a little bit of stuff that I was yeah, going to no. say a, bit, a little bit later. Yeah. But um, I came out of this uh, screen and I said to you, like, if Anatomy could win an Oscar, yeah. then forget whoever won an Oscar the year this came out. Give it to Jack Nicholson's eyebrows. Yeah. Because, like, they carried this film. They like, did so much work. They did more weightlifting than I've ever seen any eyebrows <laughs> do in a movie whatsoever. But it's like they're incredible. Like there's there's extremely expressive. Yeah. And yeah, it can be seen as over the topness, but I think that is the point. The point is yeah, that it's like he can do awful things, and you know he can do awful things from the start of the film. But it the fact that he keeps it light, like as he's doing it, it gives you a weird familiarity with his character. Yeah, I guess so. I, I, I was like, kind of seeing it like he's just got a complete detach and uh, detachment from any empathy possible, mm-hmm. you know, like he's just as like psychos do. Yeah. Um, that's how, I, but, but it's, 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 it's over the top on purpose and it's one of the best parts of the film yeah. is what I'm saying. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's so good. And for that to be the reason why you hate the film so much yeah. is crazy. It's not grounded in real. No, 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 no. Jack Nicholson does those faces in every film. Yeah. And this person was going on about like, they like his other films. Well, I mean, like he does, he does those facial expressions in Chinatown. Yeah, exactly. And that's like, like a noir thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> uh, side note, we just watched a little, did a little bit of research just before starting this podcast. Mm. Uh, in the run up to the writing process and the casting of this film, when uh, Diane 
Williams. Williams. I think they said Johnson as well. She might have like a double barrel last Let me double check that. I thought it was Williams, but I'm going to look it up. Um, But yeah, so when they were writing the film together, um, they would watch Jack Nicholson films every night to kind of decide whether they wanted him Mm. to be, uh, whether they liked his character as more of a depressive or more uh, like kind of out there and like kind of hyped up character, like in One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. It is Diane Johnson. Yeah. I don't know where I got Williams from. Yeah. I didn't want to correct you earlier because I wasn't sure. But. Well, I just didn't have my internet turned on so I couldn't check. Mm. It's Diane Johnson. Diane Johnson. Um, but yeah, so she, they were they were kind of deciding that. And I think where they landed was a really good place because it just adds to this seeming feeling of unease that yeah. you have. Yeah. And it just doesn't let up. But also it's like the way that he does the faces, they're... They're kind of like um, clownish on the outside, but there's a real rage underneath it. Yeah. Which makes it, cause it's just like the character is trying to cover up how angry he is about shit. Yeah. And it just, it's just great. It's just really good. It's, yeah. there's a point to the over the topness, which yeah. is a word I'm now coining. Yeah. Taking over it. It's fine. Yeah. Never, no one ever use it because it's terrible. But Lester Gartland, I'm taking it off of that guy with yeah. the tash. Gonna put a post up on Urban Dictionary when we're done with this. I don't go near there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, that's that's kind of what I think in terms of what this guy gave it in terms of reviews. I'm gonna say no. I'm gonna say two stars. They gave it one star. Oh, why? Why no, did I have to fall? No, no. One of these you days, I'm gonna to, get. Could have oh, got three all, out of three all, there. All three. So but, close. It's not happening. Um, right. So small little things yeah. that I want to talk to you about production. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we talked a little bit about the casting process, the writing process. We just, you know, kind of did some research on it earlier and stuff. The script was constantly changing and it's very yeah. different from the book, uh, from what I hear. I mean, it's almost totally different. Um, because yeah, so we, the, so Stanley Kubrick kind of was like, well, he finished Barry Lyndon, start was looking for when he finishes a film, just starts and like right away, just goes into reading stuff and just tries to find something that grabs him. And the assistant described it as when he finds a book he doesn't like, he just throws it against the wall. And so she totally stopped rational. hearing, she stopped hearing the sound of books hitting the wall. <laughs> And walks in, and he apparently was reading The Shining, and that's how the 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 production of this film started. Don't know if that's true, see, but that's what we read. That sounds too Hollywood to yeah, be true. That sounds that does. I, and I think there's a lot of things where um, people talk about Stanley Kubrick, and I feel like they're blowing his personality way out of proportion to fit their own kind of anecdotes right in a lot of times i mean like for for example well that that one for one right because everyone knew he was like very eccentric and very particular and very focused on films and he was that but i think people really exaggerate that to the point where it's just like all these we're not going to talk about theories too much but all these like crazy theories that come out yeah and they're like they're pin pinning down on like the tiniest detail like that thing in the elevator we were looking at before where there's like there's a little object in the elevator and at first I thought maybe it was like a, you know, a, a, a prop of like a dead body falling out. And then we had a close look and Tarek noticed it's not quite that shape. And then we just came to the conclusion it's probably just some equipment. Yeah. Or something like that, right? Or something to make the blood splash up against the wall or something. But people go so in depth with this and their argument is like, 
Stanley Kubrick was so OCD about everything mm -hmm. that every single thing means something. It's like, there's no way. Because if that was the case, he would have done one movie in his whole life. Mm -hmm. And it would have taken him his whole life to do. Yeah, And like, yes, he was very particular. He was very, very particular about things in his shots. But he's also someone who made films. And in that case, you have to let some stuff go. Like any artistic endeavor, you, it's never going to be perfection. And mm -hmm. if you don't realize that, you're never going to get it done. So he's also someone that made adverts before he made films. There you go. So, yeah, like, yeah. So it's, there's some compromise already. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like, so there's that. But um, no, I, I see I see what you mean. But there's just like, there is, there is so much in this that you can get into. And people just, I think people sometimes see what they want to see with this stuff. Yeah. But with the production stuff that I wanted to talk about, like there is some of it that it, some of it is very real. Oh yeah. yeah. And there's, it's what some of the things that made me most uncomfortable watching this because Look, it is on. If I look at it on the basis of just being a film, mm. it's amazing. It's 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 a master. Like it's like it's what everyone says it is. It's a masterpiece. Yeah. It's amazing. Like just the cinematography alone is like some of the best like sh opening shots I've ever seen in a film. Like just seeing that on the cinema screen for the first time was like wow. Yeah. Like it's I why people do still do helicopter shots. And like yeah. you shouldn't, you shouldn't have a drone. I love it that hell that establishing shot over the car when he's driving there. Yeah, I just love the way it like swoops down. Yeah, goes up next to the car and then passes it. Yeah. I just, I love that. It's so, so good. It's, it was brilliant. Um, that's like the first shot. But <laughs> the there is some aspects of the production that I just couldn't, I couldn't get by. You get into Shelley Duvall. I am because <laughs> I couldn't. Yeah. Because I I felt like I wasn't. This is some of the same reasons that I had a problem with Cry of the Banshee when we started watching that <sighs> that fucking film. And it's like it's it. I think the reason I can't get past it is because I'm having the same queasy feeling thinking about that than I am when I was watching Cry of the Banshee. Mm. And it's like the queasy feeling was like I'm not watching. I'm not watching someone act in despair. I'm just watching a person being captured in despair on film. Yeah. Like I was just like, she just looks absolutely exhausted and just so like beaten down. Yeah. During this whole production. Like, of course it adds to her performance and stuff. But then when you hear about all the stories behind the scenes and stuff, it's just, it's really hard to like, put that aside in my kind of thoughts on the film on itself because yeah. it's such a key aspect of it and i'm like if someone could treat someone like that in the making of it like there is a way to make an amazing film without treating people like shit and i just don't think oh, i haven't found it <laughs> <laughs> no there yeah no there definitely is you're like, completely I, right i just don't think i just don't think it's necessary no i, I don't think it's necessary and if you're that unhappy with who you've cast then just recast um, for ah, someone else, see, don't now, don't mentally don't mentally break someone. That brings me onto that, right? Um, because you just said if you're not happy with someone who you've cast, then cast someone else. Yeah, of course, definitely, right? Um, in like every account, when Stanley Kubrick talks about his cast, he says he couldn't be more happy with the cast. Yeah, and there's accounts uh from when uh Kubrick was working on his other films. Um, everyone said he's always very calm and collected and focused on the film. 
So there is an idea that he did this intentionally to Shelley Duvall, which doesn't make it right. It's just an interesting thought that he did all this intentionally to bring that out of her. Because on every other film that he was on, he was very, very calm, very professional. Yeah. Which just makes it creepier. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I always, you know what? I always, I always get reminded of it sort of halfway through the film when she starts like running away from shit. And like, I immediately go like, nah, she runs funny. And then I go, oh wait, she's fucking exhausted. And that's why she's running like that. That's exactly and that's horrible. What, yeah. That's <laughs> exactly. like, first of all, I'm like, ah, it's a really funny run. Why is she running like that? And I'm like, the, oh no, that there's a reason why. Like terrible. there was people like giggling and stuff in yeah. our, in our screenings yeah. of it and stuff. They were just like, oh, she's acting stuff. And I was like, I couldn't laugh. I couldn't, yeah, yeah, exactly. I couldn't laugh. Cause I was like, as soon as you remember why I'm like, this person's actually in terror. Like mm. that, this is what terror looks like. It's, it, she's not thinking about how she's running or whatever or not. This is just someone that's exhausted and just been put through so much shit that I'm just watching it play out. And like, I know the bat scene was filmed like over a hundred times to yeah, like do, God. to, to do, to do that stuff. And I could, you could see it on her face, even at the shots right at the start. Like there's shots where she's just being interviewed by the social worker or the psychologist mm. to do with her son and stuff. And it's like, she's just, um, she's very tired. She's just, uh, yeah, she's just doing, just talking about like the mundane stuff and talking about potential abuse that Jack might have done to, um, to his son, Danny. But then, uh, just kind of puts, there's a sense of pain that's behind of those real words. Pain. Yeah. Like of real pain. Yeah. And it's like, is that acting? Or is that just someone in actual pain? Well, the thing with it is, isn't it? Because like that, um, her performance is perfect for um, portraying an abused wife. Mm -hmm. But at what fucking cost? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, surely you can do it another way than just literally abusing this person to get that out of them. Yeah. And like, and seeing what she was like recently and now, um she's come out and said a lot about it as well hasn't she so. mm-hmm. and just like with you know, just obviously seeing the trauma and how it's affected her and stuff now it's just very it's very difficult to see seeing this film now putting knowing that, what we know knowing what we yeah. know putting that um and seeing how how directly this production has affected her as a person i i find it very difficult to put that aside in my in my thoughts of this film, you know, I don't think any performance is worth doing that to a person. No, I don't think I don't I don't, I don't think any performance is worth that. Any amount of awards is a is worth doing that to someone. I'd much rather have a shit film and not have done that to anyone. Yeah, and, and just <laughs> have an amazingly masterpiece film and have contributed to someone's mental health like that. Like I just don't think I could do that. It's like having a beautiful fur coat. Yeah. Like, it's lovely, but so there was so much death involved in you wearing that coat. <laughs> like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a full on. This film's a Cruella de Vil. Yeah. hundred and one Dalmatians died for this film. Um, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's pretty bad, but I just. It's a lot, man. I, look, and it's, it's great. I'm not going to knock it, but I just, I can't get past that. Yeah, that's the only thing totally. I'm going to say about the. Well, that's the thing. Like the when I first watched the film, I didn't know anything like that. Yeah, and um, actually, you know, I well, I liked it. I didn't think it was like amazing the first time I watched it. Actually, I don't think I quite got it. 
And the second time I watched it, I got it and I was like, this film's incredible. Yeah. And then I got interested in it. Then I started looking up all this shit and then I stumbled across the Shelley Duvall stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's tainted it. Especially <laughs> when really you watch the behind it. the scenes of how Kubrick how he, like, acts. speaks to her and stuff. Well, no, how Kubrick acts with um, Jack Nicholson and how friendly like they are. Peers. Like their they're peers, on the same level. like they're on the same yeah. level. Yeah. And like they were just like treating each other as equals. And then just like, I just think there is no, there is no reason for you not to treat another actor mm. the same. And that's why I think it is the case that he was doing it on purpose yeah. as well. Yeah. And that's, that's not okay. Of course it's not. Like, no. I just don't, like, I don't think any performance is worth that. And I don't think that um, any, yeah, I don't think, it, I don't think that like I have, yeah, of course, like, Stanley Kubrick's not a malicious person, like no. as a as a person, I don't think. I'm guessing from judging from his other films, because just like you said, no, there's no story like that out of, uh, out of any of his other films, regardless how controversial, even A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Um, there's no stories like that that have come out. So why why do this to why do this to a person like this just to do it on purpose like do you not think that's going to have like ramifications for that person's psyche that's just yeah or do you know and you don't care he's like he's like v from v for from vendetta (laughs) when he like shaves natalie portman's head and locks her up and shit yeah man (laughs) that's what he did it's like fucking crazy (laughs) it's insane yeah that's just no no i don't i don't know but anyway we'll move we'll move Past, let's segue from that into the implied abuse in the film. And what did you think about that? Okay, when you were watching it. Uh, Well, I if we're gonna do that, then I have Mm -hmm. some. I I guess now is a good time to bring up my theory and thoughts. Okay, of some of the abuse because I think now is a good time to talk about that. Um, I I think yeah. Let's segue from this into like our theories and our things. My feeling is that part of the film's themes is history repeating itself. And I think there's a a lot can be said for Jack's abuse in that there's implied sexual abuse Mm -hmm. for Danny, um, particularly in certain in certain scenes. There's a there's a there's a sort of research thing where someone like played the film backwards and forwards at the same time right and like it's a weird it's a weird thing i know that people have done and stuff but (laughs) some of the overlays that you have when you lay the film backwards and forwards and this is some of the shit that kubrick would do because i because that's what the kind of director that kubrick is um but uh yeah there's certain scenes that lay over each other that kind of imply a whole new meaning over certain scenes like okay uh first so do you mean like you're seeing two images at once on top of each other yeah first i'll talk first i'll talk about the similarities between both scenes and then i'll mention that they're they're overlaid of each other when you play them backwards and forwards at the same time Mm. the first scene i want to talk about is when jack goes to the um jack goes to the bathroom in room 237 yeah and is met by the woman in the bathtub the beautiful lady now in that scene the woman in the bathtub reaches out in a sort of uh in in a sort of fashion kind of over to him mm-hmm. uh and he goes and he kind of embraces this woman and starts to starts to kiss her before shit goes crazy uh the scene i want to link it to is the scene where danny goes back up to the room and is going to play with his toys but then 
uh, doesn't want to wake up Jack. Mm-hmm. Turns out Jack's awake and he's going and going insane and calls Danny over, reaches out to him in the same sort of weird stuttered way. It's it's very awkward. He's and like, I can't sleep. Come here a minute. Yeah. It's like, Ugh. and there's a whole undertone with that. Yeah. When you're when you're looking at that and with that being seen, that you that you can kind of kind of tell. There's also certain scenes and stuff right at the start where it's kind of um, it, there's an unspoken thing yeah that's un subtext that's between uh, whenever anyone's talking between anyone's jack and danny's kind of past and it's kind of left ambiguous for a reason yeah but uh yeah those two scenes are when you lay, play the film forwards backwards they lay over each other mm. almost exactly they're reaching out at the same time the reactions are at the same time that's cool uh so yeah almost like almost like frame by frame it's insane nice um, the second thing is that there was a scene that was cut out where Danny went into the bathroom inside room two, three, seven and found the woman. Yeah. Uh, the, like the naked woman and stuff, uh, in the bathtub. Uh, so that kind of feeds into my theory a little bit with mm-hmm. certain things that, <clears throat> so he's, con- he's constantly met by the twins and obviously with the bathtub scene, there's a scene where there's a jump cut and Stanley Kubrick made a point of not using too many jump cuts in this film yeah. and using them sparingly. But there's a very weird jarring cut where it cuts from him embracing the woman to back to the bathtub again. And one of the women, like, well, the woman is rising again. And yeah. then it's cut between the woman rising and the woman kind of chasing him and laughing at Jack and stuff. Uh, I feed that into my theory that those two women are the twins and they're actually kind of the, my, my theory of that is that those two are, they are not the same person. That is two people in the bathtub and they're both the sisters, the twins or the spirits of the twins that are kind of. How do you um, explain them? So you see, you're seeing them at essentially three different ages in their life. But yeah. it's but it's explained that they got killed when they were children. What do you yeah. think about that? Well, I think that there's first of all we see this we see things play out in this hotel through mm-hmm. different periods of time. Yeah, we're told about things happening in this hotel through different periods of time: nineteen oh seven, nineteen twenties, and today, um, and even before them with the 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 Jack the Grady thing. Did that happen in the night? That happened. Uh, well, when uh, like O'Grady, the butler. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, yeah. 1921. Yeah. 1921. So, um, so that happened. Um, so yeah, so we're kind of visiting through t- different timelines with that. And then there's also the fact that it's kind of, I think that, the fact they've stayed in this place it's it's stanley kubrick did a whole thing of subverting the ghost type of person yeah, in this yeah, film anyway sure. they're not shown as shimmering objects they're shown as people and there's quite a so there's quite a, there's something to be said about uh you know showing the spirit as like not a static uh age thing mm-hmm. that doesn't age but more like something that grows with the place or something that's doesn't like conform to space and time doesn't conform to space and time and yeah. just can like maybe they've always aged but their souls have stayed there and they've they've been locked and twined with this 
twisted, haunted place, and that's what they've turned into in their, you know, real state. I'm just mm. putting my own interpretation on that. Yeah, sure. But the fact that there's two of them could be linked to the twins and the stuff. It doesn't mean that they would stay that age. Yeah. It just could mean that's how they could project themselves whatever they want, you know? Just cool. like we're seeing... Like I would also link that to the right at the end when she, when um, uh, Shelley Duvall's character is running away, Wendy, and she sees two ghosts in quick succession, and then we're shown one shot in the film that's completely different to all the rest. She sees a shot of a a person in like kind of like uh, a formal dress with like a cut going through yeah. all the way through his lovely head. party. Then uh, she goes into a main hall and sees all of these people. And she's like, oh, I'm not sure. Then we see a shot of the same furniture arranged and it's completely cold and blue. And the whole uh, kind of hotel looks almost cobwebbed and old. And in all of these chairs are dead bodies. Skeletons. Skeletons. Yeah. So it could be something to be said with how these things are presenting themselves mm-hmm. being able to manipulate the way they look so that could feed into the theory of the two twins as well cool that's my that's my thought but yeah the main thing was that i think that there's undertones of sexual abuse between jack and danny's relationship yeah. as well as the alcoholism and stuff i think that's um and it's like a repression thing for him as well like with the the whole thing with tony having kind of yep. things that he's not able to kind of remember or stuff as like a coping mechanism um yeah that's kind of what i saw in in that whole thing yeah that's a, a very kind of i mean there's there's overtones of that all throughout the film um so one interesting thing about that is okay you already said about tony oh he's the man that lives in my mouth that's a fucking weird thing for a kid to say for in the first place um he goes into the bathroom sees the woman that it's implied that he sees the woman Mm. um and then he comes out and he's kind of he's like his jump has been torn he's got marks around his neck and stuff and then wendy blames jack for doing this to some because he's got history of doing that um, that's also the point where he's wearing the uh, the infamous Apollo 11 jumper. Yeah. And a lot of people kind of say that that's, you know, a phallic symbol. Yeah. And that's why he's wearing the jumper. Nothing yeah. to do with the moon landings. It's purely because of that. And yeah. then when Jack goes into the bathroom afterwards, he mm-hmm. sees um, the lady as well. And it's it seemed to be as like when she turns into like the corpse, it's like the perversion of, you know, sexuality and... Yeah, that kind of thing. That's a but, that's an interesting way of doing it. Another thing that feeds into the th- uh, feeds into uh, the whole idea is that uh, uh, early on in that scene, uh, J- uh, Danny's lured to the room two three seven by mm-hmm. a tennis ball when he's playing with his toys. Yeah, a tennis ball that we see Jack playing with earlier on in the film, uh, oh, yeah. just kind of throwing it back. Yeah, and forth just knocking it into the wall and just knocking it into the wall and catching it up again. That's a good point. Uh, and he yeah and we don't see who throws it and stuff but it is clear that we see him playing several times with the tennis ball in um earlier on in the film that kind of relates you know there's a there's a reading of this as like the shit you know is like the a a way of him coping with this abuse yeah yeah for sure um people it's there's so many ideas about this film but 
People always also say that like Jack has the shining as well, but I don't think he does. Mm-mm. People say he's drinking to suppress his shining powers. I think he's just drinking because he's done that to his son. Yeah. And he wants to forget about that. Yeah. Um, same thing with Tony. I don't think Tony's got anything to do with his shining powers either, like you said. Yeah. Um, I think that's coincidental. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's there's so there's so much in this film. It's there's it's definitely really a, good. There's definitely a, a kind of un- the main thing of like alcoholism and stuff, and just kind of repression and pushing people away and stuff. When you've when you've got that, and it's funny you say about history repeating itself as well, because in the sequel, which I've not read, mm. um, and the film's coming out soon, which I'm still very unsure of, uh, but in the sequel, Danny is an alcoholic. Yeah. So there's there's that as well. Yeah. You know, it's kind of it's in the family and it's repeating. I mean, how too. else would you well yeah deal with everything else that's gone on here? Yeah. Makes yeah. You've makes got sense. an abusive father and you can see fucking ghosts and yeah, shit. Exactly. <laughs> that's no good. Yeah. Um yeah, I've I don't know what to think about that sequel yet. I don't know. We'll find out. We'll find out. I really want to do it for this podcast. Do you think we should? I think we should. I want to do it. Just call it a two-parter and do yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, Call it a two-parter. I think we can do that. Yeah. I'm very intrigued. I don't know if it's going to work, but we'll see. We'll see. Um. Okay. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's kind of how I feel about the whole, Um. because the, the tones of abuse is not a theory in this film. It is a given. Like, it's there. Domestic um, abuse, yeah. But yeah, my not, thing was like. The, not in particular sexual, sexual abuse, abuse. But I, I'm, I totally agree. Like, just the fact of like. Tony's the man that lives in my mouth is like the big standout for yeah. me. And that when, I'm like, that's when he wants gross. to hide, he goes in my belly. And stuff. yeah, like, exactly. Just this it's whole like you theory can't see him. I don't want to talk about Tony anymore. And it's like this whole theory of just repression, mm-hmm. like just alcoholism and repression. I'm just getting major vibes off. Yeah, yeah. We're watching yep, yep, this. Yep, yep, yep. Um, we haven't really talked about techie stuff. No, so, there's so much to get into. With there's that. so much to get into. Talked a little bit about the t- helicopter shots. Talked a little bit about the jump cuts. I just want to point out one thing before you before I hear your theories and what your themes are. I have some cool things on techie stuff as well. Okay. Yeah. I will say this one thing and I want to hear your stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you know, the Steadicam was created for this film in oh, cool. 1970. I did not camera, know The camera operator uh, was working on a prototype and uh, there's a letter written to Stanley Kubrick of like, this is what I'm building to which i think will help kind of uh achieve the shots that you want the whole reason they bought the steadicam was because they wanted the appearance of like a floating entity or something that you could feel like you're following these characters from room to room yeah um as particularly like when danny's kind of like rolling hit like um riding his kind of like go-kart thing Mm -hmm. not like a go-kart but like a pedal pedal cart thing across the rooms um he uh though all of those shots and a large number of shots are all shot with a balanced steady cam that's kind of a prototype that was created and since has been an like massive influence on filmmaking in general yeah uh just for that creation and uh, adding to cinema and stuff but the whole reason the, the whole reason they wanted to do that was uh, because they wanted to, yeah, like give this kind of floating ethereal experience mm. that had never been captured before on film. I did not know that. Yeah. That's before, really cool. Before it was all kind of like dolly shots. It was the one thing yeah. I really wanted to bring up. But yeah, Steadicam invented for this movie. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a 
That's a bit of history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's There's a little cool. bit of film history for you. Right. Hit me with your theory. Hit me with your things. Oh, well, I got a couple of little techie things All as right, well before come on. we go. Just a few. So um, there's some shots in there that... How should I put this? Okay, so there's shots in there that don't really make sense with how the hotel should be laid out. Okay. Um, And this... Okay, this is where, why I brought up earlier that I think some people exaggerate Kubrick's essence somewhat um because there's a basically i can't remember what year it was but i think it was in the 90s right a duke nukem game went to design a level of the overwatch hotel the overlook hotel um and on designing it room for room they realized that it doesn't make any sense whatsoever like it doesn't fit into the own space that they that it has geometrically to what they've felt to where they physically doesn't make any sense like there's there's rooms that overlap with other rooms as a step there should be like a staircase running through a room you know just all this stuff um uh, it doesn't make any sense and um then it got confirmed by the i think it's the executive producer right afterwards he was like oh yeah it's you know it's supposed to do that because spooky (laughs) you know but i'm like "Mm, i don't know okay right here's my here's my contradict because i feel like we have different takes on this factoid uh, my argument would be that if that's the way that could be re- that could be read, I'm not going to say it definitely was meant to be that way because I because you're just telling me that I've heard this for yeah, the yeah, first time now. Uh, but that could be read as intentional because you could interpret it as uh, a physical expression of the madness that these characters are experiencing. Yeah, of course. By not having spatial awareness of the place that they're in. And just kind of endless rooms on rooms, almost like an MC Escher type yeah. situation. It could add to the kind of like madness and like thing that is that these characters are experiencing. However, when we watch the film, we feel like when we're watching this that we have spatial awareness of where everything is. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Uh, yeah, because it's like we because and it's precisely because of what I was saying earlier with the steady cam shot. We follow the characters as they arrive doing a tour of this whole hotel. Yeah. And we follow them from room to room looking around and stuff and seeing where everything is. Yeah. So we're given as an audience, a spatial awareness that maybe the characters don't have. So it's up for interpretation. Yeah. But you know, could be, could be either. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel about it. I just think like, yeah, you know, it's possible, but, we're never going to know because we're never going to hear Stanley Kubrick say yes or no to that. And, you know, without hearing that, I I don't believe anyone. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Fair enough. Um, I mean, there's obviously some things like the, uh, the gold ballroom when Jack is hallucinating and then there's that big party going on. Yeah. Obviously that doesn't fit in the hotel, but he is hallucinating at that point. Yeah. So that's, you know, artistic, uh, freedom to do that. That's absolutely fine. I get that. But yeah, there's other things that people pick up on. They're like, uh, the bit where they foot, they're first getting their tour and they get shown the big lounge with the big windows mm-hmm. and then it goes past the staircase then into a corridor and then people are stopping it and going like, oh, look, there's people at the back that are like walking out from where the window should be. And it's like, dude, there's just a turning there. There's just a corner and then a corridor. Like, yeah. s- stop being silly. But what's <laughs> weird, you know, about the whole thing when you were saying he's hallucinating at that point is that I kind of feel like that stuff's up for interpretation as well. Oh, yeah, of course it is. That's just kind of, uh, that would be the explanation for that bit not fitting in there. Sure, but then you look at the 
the towards the end of the film or the start of the end of the first film the film is that um we're given a clear indication that the uh spirits uh of the overlook hotel have are able to manifest and change matter in the mm-hmm. in the world when they let jack out jack out of the kind of cupboard storage room yep after that and he the grady kind of lets him out of uh, of that kind of locker so we're given we're, we're given we're given a sense that they can definitely change uh they can affect the world that we're in and they're not just kind of hallucinations and they are actually there then we also see um wendy running away from jack and coming into the room with all the balloons and kind of the aftermath mm. of the party yeah and having seen kind of like something's like like a party's just been had around this thing around the same point where she sees the kind of uh well-dressed like uh kind of cut up skeleton no what well-dressed kind of man with a cut on his face and the skeletons in the hallway we also see kind of these uh things so it's it's up for interpretation whether that she's hallucinating that or whether these things can actually make people see things on whether they can affect stuff or whether it's actually there. Well, here's the thing with that. The way that I view this movie, I don't think there's any hallucinations. Well, none from their minds. I think it's they're being shown these things. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think they're going crazy and hallucinating this stuff. I think there's another force making them view these things for motives. Mm-hmm. Um, which I can get into if you want. Unless you want to go through anything else? Um... I want to hear what you say about this stuff because mm. I have uh, a small little thing that I picked up on, which I think you're going to mention. Oh, cool. Uh, which uh, I'd like to hear more about. So, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, <clears throat> there's, I mean, there's all kinds of different interpretations of this film. The one that I've always seen it as, I did some research online last night just going, you know, I can't be the only person who's seen this. And I'm not the only person, but there's very few people that see the film like this rather than, you know, like the fucking moon landing shit and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's because people are looking too hard at this film and they're, they're not seeing the thing that's staring them right in the face. Okay. So my uh, thesis is that the over, it's the Overlook Hotel, right? Yeah. I keep wanting to say Overwatch Hotel. Overwatch is a game. It is, and that's not a hotel. Yeah, a, a game is a uh, top tip. A hotel is not a game. <laughs> there you go. Um, life hack. Yeah. So the Overlook Hotel, uh, is uh, a portal t- uh, to hell. Oh, interesting. That's how I've always seen this film. Okay, right, fair enough. So different take. Yeah. Well, as I said, I looked it up last night, and I was like, surely most people see it like this mm-hmm. and some people see it like this but not not as many as i thought um <clears throat> so firstly it gets like the opening scenes when they're getting shown around the hotel the manager says about it uh being built on an indian burial ground and while they were building the hotel they had to fight off a lot of native americans while they were doing it um so you can imagine there was a lot of bloodshed there at that time very uh, a lot of violence and stuff and something like that in kind of occult fashion Mm -hmm. could stir up something like that Mm -hmm. right so that's kind of where i'm thinking the origin from it is is when they built the hotel and it you know lots of blood bloodshed lots of uh wrath going on um now when it starts happening is after jack abuses danny um 
after the uh, you know when, basically when he goes to the golden the gold lounge and he sees the bartender. Before that bartender pops up, literally right before that bartender pops up, Jack goes, I would sell my soul for just a glass of beer. Yeah. There's the bartender. Straight away in a red suit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) Okay. Right. So obviously that's, I'm seeing that as the devil. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, And I think the Overlook Hotel is just, just wants to get, collect souls and, Mm -hmm. you know, get people to sin and bring them to hell. And they, they try it with uh, Wendy, Danny, and Jack. Jack is the only one who succumbs to it. Um, they try it with Wendy right at the end. And then, okay, Wendy is a fucking stand-up woman, by the way. Mm-hmm. She is like the pinnacle of dutiful wife. Yeah. Like, she's just like, there's so much Puts shit. Puts up with so much shit. Yeah, there's so much shit going on. And she's just like, every time, like, even when, like, Jack just fucking screams at her just for, like, checking up on him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Okay, well, you know, I'll I'll come back later. I'll make you a sandwich. It's like, yeah. oh my god, like, why are you putting up with this guy? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so it fails with her, basically, is what okay. I'm saying. Now, are you familiar with the circles of hell? Kind of. You don't have to be very familiar. Uh, you get the concept. Give me, give me a, uh, give me a brief, brief overview. Okay, so it's basically it's an idea that uh, com- comes from Dante's Inferno. Um, from I'm the, familiar from, with it from the but divine for our comedy. listeners. Oh, no, of course, no. of course. Um, and it it's the it's the the version of hell that basically has a hierarchical uh, kind of thing, and there's circles to it. And the further down you go, you'll find the worst people at the right. bottom. Yeah. So you it's have very similar to the thing I know, but I just know okay, that yeah. from D and I don't know that from anything right, else. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, so. The, the first one is purgatory, and that's like basically people that haven't done any wrong in their life, but they weren't baptized. Yeah, okay. So they don't get to go to heaven. And right. then below that, um, so we won't bother with that. I mean, you could argue that the closing time of the hotel is then purgatory. Mm-hmm. Um, underneath that, you get to the first section, uh, which is lustful people. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, with that, um, in that realm, there are sirens trying to beckon people in. I think the twins, and if we're going with your theory that the twins are also the women in the bath, I believe that those are sirens. Okay. So they're trying to get Danny in by appearing as a child, someone of his same age. Yeah. And obviously they're trying to get Jack in by yeah. what they do with Jack. Yeah. Um, and that's what sirens are. Like, that is what they are. They're, they're lure people in with their sexuality, and then when you're there, you figure out that they're actually a horrible monster. Yeah. That's literally what they are. Okay, now after that... Um, you get so we and then we go through the film. Loads of crazy shits happening. Um, after that, you get to um the River Nile, which is a river of blood, mm-hmm. and it's at this point in the film where Wendy sees the river of blood gushing out of the elevator. And then once that's happened, um, the last layer that I'll get into. There's fucking loads of them, but the last one that I need to get into is directly after you pass through the river, the river sticks, the blood river. Um, you get to the circle which has wrathful people like Jack and that is guarded um, by a minotaur and the minotaur chases people around a labyrinth and Jack chases Danny around a hedge maze mm-hmm. and that is how I see that that's it's all it literally if you just like look at um, there's like images of like the circles of hell if you look those up and just look at like the first three or four mm-hmm. maybe five You'll you'll see that all in The Shining, and you go, "Fuck!" It mirrors them descending down into that pit. 
Yeah. Until they get to the wrath section, which is where Jack stays. And then when they say, like, the bit where Grady meets him in the bathroom and says, like, you were always the caretaker here, is because once you're in hell, you are in eternity. So mm-hmm. time doesn't matter. You've always been there once you're there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how he's always been there. And the only thing in this film that I can't explain, that I don't think anyone can explain yet, is the 1921 picture with him in it at the end. I think, yeah, that's it. We can't, we, no one can explain And I don't think you're why. supposed to explain no, it. Like, I, I don't think, think it makes sense. No. It's just a cool thing to put at the end. Yeah. It's a little motif. And I think it's, the, it's, it's there to ask questions yeah. for people to kind of like ponder over, but I don't think there is an answer. Yeah, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. To, to do that. But that's very, how I see it. Very, very interesting, very interesting theory about the Nine Hells. Uh, not the nine hells. The nine hells is the D and the the circles cir- of hell. The circles of Overwatch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the circles of Overwatch. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I I can I can totally see everything that you're saying. Yeah. I think that it's very interesting. I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure. I'm 100 percent with you. Though. No, of course. I am taking it much more on a face value. Uh, I mean, I thing. think that's fair. Well, the the devil thing is face value. I I'm I taking yes. I do believe that there's something you know I mean? is there to buy his soul, and yeah, so it's, and something is there when he when he starts drinking and starts turning fully buying into yeah the madness. But uh, what I was going to say is I I'm I'm taking this story on a much more face value in terms of what's causing this, mm. in terms of the fact that this plot of land was built on an Indian burial ground, and that there's a lot of native uh, Indian um native american um imagery it's so difficult when they say indian burial ground in the film and then when you're trying to quote the film you say indian like, i meant native american yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like i meant native american <laughs> yeah it's terrible because they said that in the film they say like, indian and yeah. then so you you're referencing the film so you're like indian burial ground you're like fuck native american burial ground. yeah because it's not it's not that i was like oh fuck <laughs> but there is a lot of that sort of imagery um, oh yeah, yeah. It's it's Native all over the American place. Uh, imagery all over the all over the place and stuff, especially with that. So I I feel like there's something to be said about these spirits mm. uh, being wrathful spirits from the dead that are buried under this uh, this hotel and kind of taking over the Overlook Hotel. Yeah, uh, sure. rather than it being a portal to anywhere else, more being it like this place is under a spiritual control. Of the dead of the in of the Native American burial <laughs> ground did it, uh, and because <laughs> those you know those those spots are so sacred, yeah, that would explain the wars at the start when this thing was being built yeah, and just course. kind of protecting it for just as much their protection than their own. Yeah, no, there's bloodshed. it is it's definitely like I think it's it's near enough confirmed that part of this film is about the Native American genocide as well. Yeah, so very very plausible, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's my thing, but yeah, but hey, I, w- I said I wasn't gonna trade trade full on theories with you for this whole thing, but it's just so fun to do. You just have to. I just you, have you just it. have to talk about it a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's that's my one thing to take. I'm very excited. Also, very excited to come back to it at some point. I need a break. Oh yeah, I'm not gonna not gonna see it for a little while. Maybe like next October or something. Yeah, but I'm I'm gonna watch it again. I think I want to see it again. Because I want it is it this very much warrants coming back to, and that's one of the things that we consider when we rate our films as well. Isn't it? Yeah, like if it's like I want to watch this again because I enjoyed it and I think there's more to get out of it. Yeah, this is the epitome of that film. Hundred percent. 
So with that, what are you going to give it? Man, I... You know what? I'm... I want to give it a high score. But then I also remember <laughs> Shelley Duvall's plight in it yeah. as well, which kind of pulls it down. Yeah. Um, What did I give the Devils? Did I give that a top score? I think you gave the Devils a black tea. Yeah, well, it deserves it because... It has an alligator sword fight in it. That's true. Um, well, you okay. might have given it an L grade. I'm not sure. I think I gave it a black tea. Yeah. I think I did. Uh, so with that in mind, I will give The Shining an L grade, just under. Yeah. Because um, it's not as good as The Devils because there isn't a crocodile sword fight. Well, sh- well, you know, if Stanley Kubrick wanted the 9.94 <laughs> from me, he should have put in an alligator sword fight. And he knows that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but... No, well, because, okay, th- those two films are on par for me. Yeah. Um, and the only thing that's bringing it down is the fucking production history yeah. of it. That is literally it. Yeah. Other than that, it's on par with The Devils. I'm just giving it a bit less. I'm giving it less as well because I just can't, I can't, I physically can't get past that. Knowing, knowing you, what this has done. You to have to take it into consideration. I have to take it into consideration because I, I don't have the benefit of the people that saw this when this came out of not knowing yeah. how this affected Shelley Duvall as a person. Yeah. I'm coming into this with all of that baggage and with everyone telling me that this is all an amazing film and stuff. Like I don't have the benefit of, you know, not knowing how this turns out. So I, mm-hmm. I kind of have to take that into consideration seeing this film for the first time. Cause of course I'm going to judge it based on what I know. Yeah. So I'm going to give it an L gray as well. Yeah. It, like cinematically, and like just judging it on like the technical aspects of making a film, it is fucking amazing. Yeah, and it is it is dread like dread inducing and just really thrillful. And I don't think I've had an experience like that oh, in a while. That's great. The cinema, there's like a, a you know, and it's it's very clear that I can see all these influences of all these films that I love that are clearly influenced by this particular film. Mm-hmm. Um. I will say that seeing the the last ten minutes after having seen the South Park episode, yeah, <laughs> the like blockbuster it's films. not possible of not laughing at that bit. Like <laughs> I was just thinking, should he? Yeah. <laughs> um, I've always but, thought that's a jarring shot. Anyway, like yeah. before that South Park came out, I was like, that's a fucking weird. It just comes. It just like yeah. It just it just, just there. It's, it's like, just there. What the fuck? Um, but yeah, but I, I, I will give it an L grade because I do think yeah. it's, 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 it's very good. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. But just those things are holding it back for me. Yeah. And I'm sure there'll be some people saying, you know, well, you need to be able to separate the art from the artist. And I totally agree with that, except for when you're watching the art and there's scenes of Shelley Duvall, who is clearly emotionally abused at this point. Mm. That's in the art at that point. Yeah. Right. So that. You can't separate it. It's crossed that line. It's in there now. That's the thing is that the, that whole question of separating the art. Like from the if artist, Stanley Kubrick was just a dick on set, yeah. that's fine. Because I don't see him in the film. Mm. I see Shelley Duvall in the film. Yeah. I don't know. I guess that that question of can you separate the art from the artist is such a big thing that context is so required and yeah, so of much course. of it's, it. It's a more of a gray area. It's, it's, not, it's not that simple. It's not as simple as just saying like, oh, I can just separate all these things is perfect because at some point that influenced what you're experiencing. Yeah. And you have to take that into consideration because that's the, that's the, in, in some way affects the intention of the creator. 
Yeah. So you've kind of got to... Or at least murkies their intentions. Or murkies their intentions, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of got to be taken into account. But with that said, that's a 8.52 from me. Thank you, Earl Grey. Very cool. Very cool. I love all these little subtitles that you had for each one. It's so (laughs) good. I still need to add Bovril in. Oh, yeah, you got to put Bovril. We need to think of a bad subtitle for Bovril. Blame Cry the Banshee for that. (laughs) Yeah, that was so bad. Uh, Okay, so that's our reviews. And thus concludes our um, thoughts on this spooktober. Spooktacular spooktober. Um, We're probably still going to do some scary films going forward. Yeah. (laughs) Because I just fucking love scary films. But... That was the uh, that was the addition of it, uh, and my first time seeing The Shining. I had a great time. Did you have a good time? I loved. I love seeing it at the cinema. Yeah. If if you get the chance in your local cinema, please go and it's 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 a whole different experience. It's great. It's so good. Um, right, guys. So if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at the Movie Brew. Please tell us your fan theories. We want to hear them. You what? Oh, your crazy theories about this film. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? What do you think? Um, so yeah, tweet us or you can reach us at the Movie Brew on Facebook as well. Got a website set up, themoviebrew.com. Mm-hmm. Um, for longer stuff, you can send us an email, hello at themoviebrew.com. Um, for everything else, just reach us on the social medias. Yep. Um, yeah, and thank you to Tamarin for our music. Um, and thank you to Forest Fire Creations for our artwork as well. We'll have a think about what we're going to see for the next episode, and we'll catch you on the next episode of The Movie Brew. See ya later. And ever, and ever, and ever. The only game I'm interested in is Last of Us 2. Yes. And I think that's it. I think that's, that's all, that's all I want. That's all I want in my life. I don't think there's Just any, give me Last of Us 2. There's no games coming out other than that that I'm excited for. I already have bought The Witcher 3. And I'm going to wait to finish yeah, the books really before, play that. before I get into it. It's going to be great. And then, yeah, Last of Us 2. That's all I want to play. Even That's that, the, literally the only game. Even that Avengers game looks shit. It looks really shit. Man, this is going at the end of the podcast. Everyone's going to hate oh, us. Oh, we record it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Avengers game looks terrible as well. Oh, no. Yeah. No, really no, dumb. I disagree. I think it might be good. I am um, going to... Yeah, I, I've got... Playing God of War right now. Have you ever played that before? The newest one. Yeah. No. It's actually really good. It's supposed to be amazing. It's pretty damn good. It's all made to look like one shot. So it's all like a a continuous story. And he's like a dad. 
And it's like all a father and son story. And I'm just like, oh, Kratos, you're secretly just a big softy. Dad of boy. <laughs> boy. 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 Uh, <laughs> did that. 